Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and we're here to discuss a variety of topics. Bullying is the big one, but right now many people are experiencing a host of other problems. Domestic violence, workplace bullying, cyberbullying, community and family bullying, and I think if you look at things from the perspective of The world, you know, Russia's trying to bully the Ukraine. And that's another form of bullying that we have. And often when I speak with people, I discover that they seem to be having trouble with the people that are closest to them, like their parents or their siblings. Sometimes even their spouse. People become angry and bitter and just don't realize that there's a choice And it can be just as easy to develop love, joy, and peace and patience as it is to become angry, bitter, and vengeful. Now, this podcast is designed for anyone who wants to have a fuller, more vibrant life and to offer some ideas on how to balance the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual areas of their life. But we are Anti-Bullying 101, so it's truly my hope that we can help everyone live a life without the fear of harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Now, for today, for this podcast, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be giving you one of our pod courses. Now, this pod course is... 10 Reasons Why We Need Professional Development for Our Teachers and Why the Colleges Should Provide for Their New Teachers in Services and Continuing Education in the Area of Anti-Bullying and Behavior Management. I think that it is absolutely critical that this become part of part of the um, makeup of our colleges and it should be part of the curriculum in colleges and it should be part of any in-service program that uh, teachers participate in. I think that we don't do enough. We don't do enough 
in order to um, uh, deal with these problems. Um, it has been it has become a, a real issue for me, and we're having a, a, a once again we're having a technical problem. Uh, okay, let's see what we got here. And we should be sharing. Let's stop the share for a minute. Okay, let's stop the share. And let's share the screen again. Let's share. And we'll try this one here. All right, there we go. We are in 10 Reasons Why. That's the uh, topic of this in-service, which I will be presenting as part of a pod course. 10 Reasons Why we need to present to colleges and to teachers uh, who are in the field okay stronger training in the area of behavior management and this is for future teachers and why we need to provide more comprehensive training in the area of behavior management for teachers who are now in the field and i'm going to share these 10 reasons with you and i think it's important that you you really pay attention this as part of the pod course this uh will this powerpoint and the lecture notes will be included okay if you as a subscriber if you subscribe to anti-bullying 101 this will be one of the things you're going to get uh when you subscribe to it along with uh, many other courses that i put up there and you'll see once you subscribe to the podcast. Number one, take a look at the schools. The behavior in school today has deteriorated to the point that violence is not the problem anymore. It's more about school shootings, and the numbers are staggering. Since 2009, there have been 288 school shootings in the United States. Now that's probably more now. It's probably more now. I don't know. That's since 2009. But potentially that number could be going up. France has had two. Canada two. Germany one. The United Kingdom none. Italy none. So the idea here is, okay, there are there are problems that are occurring that that are problems because they are not addressed initially a victim will come into a school and will shoot up the school why it's never a bully it's always a victim because they were not dealt with they were not strengthened they were not taught resiliency and probably they were not dealt with correctly by teachers and administrators so that they could begin to feel comfortable going to school and all of the anger gets built up inside of a victim it all gets built up and then it's not enough and i'm going to cover this in another slide okay it's not enough to get even with one person they got to get even with a host of people who may have even been friends with the people that bullied them so, that's part 
of the problem. Schools have deteriorated to the point we don't worry about shoot, won't worry about violence, we worry about shootings. Now, we are forced as school districts to get everyone to the finish line without mastery of basic content. In other words, we want to just get you through school. Good grades are great. Mastery is better. And what we have to do is we have to make sure that kids get the content and it gets pushed into their long-term memory. Kids are just being moved along right now. And that's a problem. It's a problem for me, and I'm sure it's a problem for a lot of people. And there's always, you know, this idea, this idea that, well, you know, they got it, it we, they made it through, they, they got to see. Well, let me explain something to you. Kids don't leave the first grade on the first grade level. They, live it around, they leave it around 0.6. Second grade, 1.5. Third grade, 2.2. Those are only ballpark numbers. The point that I'm making to you is this. Kids are never on grade level. And the, the further along they go, the fur, more behind they become. So some kids come into school with negative learned behaviors. And we're forced to develop conditions to support the behavior. As an example. Okay. We spend about 80% of our time dealing with 20% of the kids who have behavior problems, and that used to be 90-10. These kids are not going anywhere. They're staying. We have to figure out how to manage the behavior. Now, here's the point I wanted to make. Years ago, many years ago, if a kid was having trouble in school, there were several options that the school had if they were behavior problems and they were preventing other kids from learning. Number one, hey, if he's a senior in high school, we can put him in adult school, he can get a GED, or we can help you get into the service, or we could send you to trade school. There was a lot of things that we could do with these kids because we had a small percentage of them. A small percentage. Now, we have a small percentage of kids. Now we have a very, very large percent of kids who are behavior problems and are having difficulty. They come into school. They start having problems and people start, the outcry starts that we believe the kid has ADHD, ODD. I mean, um, there's something wrong, you know, where he may need medication and so on. But what really is happening is we're creating the condition to support the behavior. Now, am I suggesting that attention deficit disorder doesn't exist? Of course not. There are legit cases of it. But when you have a school full of kids who are having difficulty and you want to tell me that, they're, that they're, uh, they have ADHD or some other condition 
and that's the reason for the problem, I might have a problem with that. Now, we have a lot of kids today who have anxiety, who have depression, who have other clinical issues, and they're in school, and we, and, and we have kids who have experienced trauma in their home, trauma in the community, trauma from being bullied. And we have to work with those kids. We have to help them. They are going to become a problem for us if, in fact, we don't help them learn how to manage relationships, manage you know, their schoolwork, deal with the anxiety, deal with the depression. We've got to do something for those kids. But we're getting to the point where we may have a school full of them before too long, and that can become a problem. Number two, this isn't 40 years ago. You know, 40 years ago, you know, parents supported the school and dealt with their child's misbehavior. And today, we have to fight the kid, the parent, and the time city hall. And here's the big one that I want everyone to be aware of. The behaviors that we dealt with years ago were of the garden variety, like having a playground fighter goofing off in class. Those were easy behaviors to deal with. Now we deal with much more chronic and severe behaviors that are really disrupting. They're really disrupting the education of other people. And disrespect is at such a high level. What's starting to happen is the new teachers who enter the field, they begin to accept certain behaviors as the new norm. And one of the words, uh, and, and then if the kid shows the slightest improvement, okay, they fall all over the kid. I would like us to try and eliminate the word awesome. A kid in the first grade, you know, he's doing awesome. Everything's awesome. It's not awesome. It's good. You did a nice job. You know, but sometimes we can get to the point where we praise a kid so much that they begin to feel good about themselves for no apparent reason. And I think we have to take the time to evaluate that. Everything and everybody isn't awesome because as that kid moves forward in school, okay, whether we want to believe it or not, somebody's going to tell him that you're not doing too good and he's going to say to them, wait a minute, I thought I was awesome and here comes the behavior problem after that. So awesome is not everybody. Awesome is for a select few. Number three, standardized test. A standardized testing is not a measure of achievement. It's a standard of comparison. Standardized testing is not a measure of achievement, but it's used to compare school districts and kids and uh, across a country. We don't need to compare kids because when you compare kids amongst themselves, what they start to do is they start looking at one another. We, we compa kids compare themselves enough in terms of clothes, friends, you know, and money and other things. We don't need to use a standardized test as a standard of comparison. What we have to do is use that to drive instruction. And it's not used in that way. 
Standardized testing is used to make sure that districts get money. And here's the cycle that leads to behavior problems. The teachers are trained to teach to the test. And let me be clear, even for content-related testing during the year, there's an unspoken fear of failing a kid. Most kids have an inflated view of their academic ability and they don't realize their shortcomings until later in life when grades are more meaningful. And I've said it before, good grades are nice, but mastery is better. Now, the cycle that leads to behavior problems, students move through grade after grade with unmastered skills and a lack of the necessary prerequisites to learn new information. You heard me say this earlier. They don't, and they don't leave the third grade at the third grade level. It's more like 2.5. This produces frustration, anxiety, and tension, and it results in behavior problems. It's critical that we help kids master content. We don't want them to just get by. We want them to master it so that they're ready for the rigors of life. They're ready for the rigors of a more uh, sustained and, and rigorous uh, academic content that's going to be coming their way. Number four, life is about relationships, isn't it? I mean, you want to get along with your parents, you want to get along with your uh, kids, you want to get along with your employer. You know, we want to get along. And I remember I worked for a boss one time and he said to me, anybody can teach you how to fill out a purchase order, but nobody can teach you how to get along with other people. And it's true. Employers are more concerned about the attitude of their employee than whether or not they can do the job. We could teach them how to do the job, but if you've got problems, you know, where you're, you're not doing well at work, it doesn't have a lot to do with you not being able to do the work. It has a lot more to do with you not wanting to do the work. And employers want their employees to be respectful, responsible, have a good attitude. They want them to be able to get along and they want them to show up and they want them to be on time. Does that sound like school to you? And if this is what employers want we should be teaching this stuff in school we have to find the time to do it in this overly ambitious curriculum that's being used to help prime a kid to pass a test life when we deal with life in general we get plenty of tests along the way Understand that. There's plenty of tests that come along the way. Life throws tests at us to see if we can handle things. This standardized test has nothing to do with whether or not a person can be on time, has good character, and puts forth the effort when it comes down to work. Number five, we don't know how to have productive conflict. Now, what is productive conflict? 
It's when two people can have an argument and leave space so that they can disagree. And when they do disagree, they do it with the right attitude. That's productive conflict. And we don't know how to do it. There's so many intergenerational problems in our dysfunctional family, schools, and in society in general that they have become discussion forums in faculty rooms. We talk about the kids. We talk about other teachers. We talk about administration. We talk about our kids. We talk about the difficulty that somebody's having with kids in their classroom. And let me be clear, no answers, just discussions. And I call them dysfunctional discussions. You don't need to have those discussions in the faculty room. Unless you have an answer that will, they can, we can use to try and help kids out and help other teachers out and help the school out. Conflict is necessary to establish boundaries. We have to be able to confront each other. A student, parent, or, uh, or an issue. Maybe our own demons. But we have to be able to confront people. Productive conflict is something that's taught. It's not an innate skill. And teachers may have difficulty with conflict strictly based on their own imprint. Think about your imprint. What is your own imprint? Your imprint is what you grew to be afraid of or what you grew to like or whatever the case may be when you were younger that became more of a monster in your life, that became more of a problem in your life. And usually people don't like having conflict. They don't like being yelled at. When I first started working as an administrator, I was being yelled at by my boss, superintendent, teachers, parents, students sometimes. It was painful. And I had to make a decision if I wanted to stay or not. And I did stay. But I had to trace my fear of being yelled at back to where it started. And I almost needed to get, I did, I got therapy so I, would able, I could be able to do my job and deal with the problems that were facing me. Because if you can't deal with angry people, you're going to have a problem. This conflict needs to be taught to our students so they can have disagreements and do it with the right attitude. And they can cooperate even though they disagree. What happens if we don't teach the skill? Power struggles. They're inevitable and relationships get strained. And I said it before, some families, they don't even talk with one another. Why? Because there's unsettled youth conflict that has become an adult conflict. That's why. And we have to be aware of it. You be aware of it in your own life. Families don't talk because of unsettled youth problems. Kids leave home because of the fact that they had trouble with their parents. They didn't get along with their parents. Have to be aware of it. Have to be aware of a kid's relationship with his parents when they come into school. Because how he treats his parents is how he's going to treat you.
because you're just another adult that's going to give them a hard time. Number six, there are too many adults with bad attitudes. And kids are kids, but not for long. And even the most intelligent of adults can have some, they can be so arrogant and so prideful that they're just painful to be around. And, you know, and this, this is the other 80% of our school population. They do well in school, but no character. They never developed a character to know how to make the best use of their intelligence. That, to me, is a real issue. Because kids today can be, you know, very intelligent, very smart. But they don't have the character. I've seen kids who have tremendous IQs, but they can't hold a job because of their character. Our kids lack empathy. Number seven, our kids lack empathy. They don't know how to put themselves in someone else's shoes. They don't have the ability. You know, they don't have the ability to see life from someone else's perspective. They don't know, you know, that they're supposed to help a an elderly couple shovel snow or help someone with a dead battery or bring meals to a shutter. They don't know this anymore. And they don't have the same concern for each other as we once did. Adults don't care as they once did and kids care even less. And there's plenty of kids that stand around in school when somebody's being bullied. That's called a bystander. And they do nothing to help someone else out. Now remember, the my name is Jim Burns. You're listening to Anti-Bullying 101. And we're in the middle of a pod course right now. That's 10 reasons why we've got to have um, anti-bullying and behavior management programs as part of our professional development. We have to do it. Kids today are afraid to stand up. They're afraid to stick up. They're afraid to say anything. And they become adults who think the same way. Adults teach their kids this. Stay out of it. Don't get involved. You know, say nothing and so on. And before you know it, what happens? Okay, the kid doesn't do a thing and the kids are getting bullied around him, but he will say something when they come for him and they start bullying him. Number eight, bullying behavior is on the rise. And it is very much so on the rise. And we have to be aware of it. It's been going up for years. For years. There's no... No secret. These kids walk amongst us. They're hurt themselves, probably by something that happened in their family. They come from dysfunctional families. 
and are angry and take their anger out on others. They made this decision about five years ago. The social and emotional window to the brain closes at around the age of five, meaning everything that, remember that story, anything you ever wanted to know you learned in kindergarten? Well, guess what? Here it is. It's by the age of five. And people knew there was something wrong with the kid when he was five years old, but not enough was done to quell the misery. Not enough was done to understand what was wrong with him. And what was wrong with him came from his parents. It's, it's almost as if we have to deal so intergenerationally that we may have to go back to grandparents to figure out what they did to parents and then figure out what the parents are doing to their kids right now. They didn't get, there was no intervention, and now we have a bully on our hand who interferes with the learning of others and basically creates an emotionally unsafe you know it's really really something when you feel unsafe emotionally it's one thing you know physically you feel unsafe you're driving with someone in a car and there could be an accident you know and they're speeding but emotional safety is something that we all crave we all want to feel like our feelings aren't going to get hurt like someone's not going to start yelling at us we all want to feel like we're not going to get picked on berated We all want to feel that way, and we have to create a safe learning environment for kids so that they don't get bullied in that classroom. Number nine, kids seek revenge. They seek revenge all the time. And it's not enough for them to get even. I've shared this with you before. It's not one pound, but five pounds. It's not enough to get even with one kid now. You got to get even with the whole school. They just don't want a pound of flesh. They want your flesh and the flesh of your friends. Because you bullied them. I'm coming into school now and I am going to take care of you. But you're hanging around with a bunch of other kids. That's why I have to take care of everybody else. I'm the victim, I'm not the bully. But I got to take care of that bully. And if that bully has any friends, I'm going to make sure that they get it too. And then just in case I miss anybody, I'm going to come in with an automatic weapon. So if other people get taken out, well, that's just collateral damage. Victims who have been bullied, they don't know how to fight back. They don't know how to have productive conflict. They digest abuse. They, it gets tamped down. They become bitter. And they act out. And we have to address the victim. We have to strengthen the victim. Stop testing and start strengthening victims of bullying so that our environments will become safer. I'm not blaming victims right now. What I'm saying is, They don't know how to manage it. And we have to give them the skills to help them become stronger and more resilient. The focus has got to be off of 
all of the, the testing and academics and test scores and everything else and more on creating a school climate that's healthy and where kids care about one another and where they feel safe. Number 10. Some kids may be smart, but they lack common sense and wisdom. Now, wisdom is the ability to see life from someone else's perspective while working together with them to see life from the same perspective. That's wisdom. And this quality is important in every aspect of life. Marriage, where you have child rearing and finances. In school, we want to teach self-control, respect, and responsibility. We have to help kids see the reasons why these things are important. Why is it important to have self-control? Why is it important to be respectful? See life from the perspective of their teachers. See life from the perspective, and we have to see life as teachers from the perspective of administration, parents, on the job. Why is it important to be on time? What about that work ethic? All of these require a good attitude and the desire, the desire to work as a team. Smarts don't cut it anymore. The smartest kid in the class could be the most deviant and he could make the, or she could make the poorest choices. There are more kids today that can't even make the smallest decision and can be led around by the nose by the wrong crowd. Smart doesn't mean wise and at times even the smartest kids can lie, cheat, steal and abuse others. They may be better than the average kids but there's all kinds of smarts and this kid is one-dimensional, but he'll pass that test. This is something that we have to be extremely aware of. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns. You know, you can get, I've got a new book out, um, and it is uh, called um, The Power of Consistency. And I have another one out that's called um, The Teacher's Survival Guide. You can get all of my books, Anti-Bullying 101, which is where the podcast came from, has 101 tips that you can use. Uh, this is important. This is important. What I just covered here is extremely important. And I think what we have to become more aware of is how devastating things can become in school today for certain kids. How much pain certain kids are in. How much difficulty certain kids are in. And we have to have the, 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 the patience, the, the confidence. We have to have the self-control. We have to have the ability to see these things going on and take the necessary steps so that kids can remain in school and feel as if they're going to get educated and they feel safe and that you're going to be the ones that are going to take care of them. And you'll help them deal with that bully that's coming their way. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. 
This has been a pod course, ladies and gentlemen. You can get this content, okay, when you subscribe to Anti-Bullying 101 as a, a podcast, and this will be one of the courses that you'll have that you can take. So, without further ado, I am happy to be with you. It's, it is Monday, February 28th, March 1st, coming up. Soon it will be spring. I love speaking with you. I hope you got something out of this pod course. I look forward to doing another one. And once again, thank you for listening to Anti-Bullying 101.